Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Mental health and substance abuse cost US businesses between 80 and 100 billion annually. Another study showed that serious mental illness cost America up to 193.2 billion in lost earnings per year. Depression is thought to count for up to 400 million lost workdays annually. And approximately one in five adults in the US, that's 18.5% of the population, experience mental illness each year. Research shows that mental health problems in the workplace cost UK employers 26 billion pounds per year, averaging 1,035 pounds per employee. And in Canada, that figure is around $1,500 per employee. Whilst mental health and support is better than ever, mental health in the workplace is something that still needs bringing to the forefront of people's minds. And we'll be considering this in this episode of the HR Chat podcast. Our guest this time is David Beanie, founder at breakingthesilence.co.uk, an advisor to businesses on how to reduce the stigma of mental health in the workplace. David suffered for over 30 years, not wanting to tell his colleagues or his employer that he was battling with mental health problems, believing that it would damage his career. And he was embarrassed and scared of the potential consequences. But now David is using his experience, commercial background and business knowledge to help organizations implement mental health and well-being strategies within the workplace. David has committed the rest of his working life to reducing the stigma of mental health in the workplace and it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you David onto the show today. Good afternoon Bill, it's a, it's a real pleasure, thank you for inviting me onto this podcast, real privilege. So uh, this is, some of our chats are a bit more light-hearted, this is, this is a bit more of a serious chat and uh, it, it's a really, really important topic that we're talking about today. Um, I just want to start by saying you, you, kudos to you, respect to you. you, you took the extremely brave decision to share your own experiences with the wider world. Was yeah. there a specific moment or a trigger that caused you to decide that you wanted to do this? I wish I had a better story, Bill. Um, I trained as a mental health counsellor about 10 years ago. Uh, believing that that would be something I'd possibly do towards the end of my, my career. And my HR director had obviously got wind of that. And in in about April 2016, she suddenly approached me one day and said, um, you know a bit about mental health, don't you? And uh, she said, next month is National Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK. Why don't you do some talks to our staff about mental health? And I remember thinking, um, oh, dear, um, what am I going to talk about? And I hoped it would go away. And about a week later, she emailed me saying, would I send over my slides? She was really interested to see what I was going to talk about. And I thought, I'm interested too. What slides? <laughs> what am I going to talk about? And uh, it was round about that point. I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll share with the world my, my mental health story. And I, I hadn't really realized, Bill, I, that I had kept it quiet for 36 years and hadn't told anybody in my life whatsoever. So uh, on the 16th of May, 2016, in Manchester, in England, I, for the first time, uh, shared with a group of colleagues um, my personal battles with with anxiety and panic, and it, and it's changed my life. Um, it's it's something I now do on a very very regular basis, and um, it's cathartic, it's purposeful, and it seems to be helping a lot of people, um, you know, inspire them to open up as well. So uh, it's the best thing I've ever done. Although it was, yeah, as you say, it, it was brave. 
And uh, But I'm so pleased I've done it. We'll be right back after this message from Espresso. The workplace is now more than just work. It's the place where people find community and a sense of belonging to a bigger vision and mission. That's why Espresso built the first culture benefits platform designed to make heroes out of HR teams while connecting people and community. Espresso.com is total well-being, community, recognition, and culture benefits reimagined. Looking for more ways for your people to connect while positively impacting your bottom line? Visit Espresso.com. That's E-S-P-R-E-S-A dot com. Why do you think that employees value hearing a story that they can relate to with someone who has enjoyed a successful career despite living with a mental health issue? I think employees really value it because of everything I've ever done in my career, nothing has ever resonated or struck a chord with as many people as the talks that I deliver now. Um, I know you you said at the start of the introduction to the podcast um, about one in, I think, from if you said four, five or six people will suffer with, with poor mental health at some stage every year. Well, I have a slightly different take on that because, yes, of course, you're right. But to me, it's it's one in one. Bill, we all have physical health. And at some stage every year, our physical health could be better. And mental health is exactly the same. We all have mental health. The problem is we have this certainly perception in the UK that you've only got poor mental health if you're diagnosed with depression or diagnosed with anxiety or diagnosed with schizophrenia. But you don't have to be diagnosed with poor mental health to have poor mental health. Um, If you're going through a period where you're not sleeping very well or you're struggling to concentrate or you've got low energy, that is equally not great mental health. And so I very much talk to um, organisations and groups of people about one in one because it helps to destigmatize it. Um, when something becomes one in one, it relates to absolutely everybody and it just makes it easier for people to open up and share um, how they're really feeling. Part, part of the problem, certainly in the UK, is that we've changed the meaning of the word mental to be something that we just don't want to associate with. And I'll give you an example of that. If you, if you type into Google Images physical health, you get all these amazing images of people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Usain Bolt. And every image is really positive. If you put mental health into Google Images, um, all you do is get pictures of people with their heads in their hands looking sad. And that frustrates me because why should positive, you know, why should physical health be seen as so positive and mental health be so negative? Because some people don't have very good physical health at all, but have very healthy minds. So in there lies part of the reason why no one wants to associate with having um, mental health, but it's something we all have. And the more we talk about it, the more we make it easier for everyone else to talk about it. And certainly in workplaces, uh, ideally we need senior people to open up and talk about um, how mental health has touched their lives. Because one of the myths again is that you can't be successful if you've suffered any degree of poor mental health, but that's absolutely rubbish. And more and more incredibly successful people like J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter books, you know, she shared her stories and more and more people are realizing the reason they've been successful is because of the challenges they've had in their own mind. So I think it just gives permission for more and more people to believe that it really is okay not to be okay. 
I've just had an aha moment listening to you there. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, you, you Google the term mental health and it's pretty much all negative images. You Google something yeah. maybe like mental well-being and you might get some more positive ones. That's amazing that society has taken us down that route. That, that's incredible. That's, yeah, if I if I had my way and I, every day has been a school day for me, Bill, in the last few years. And I wasn't saying this six months ago, but I would now advise businesses to drop the word mental and just talk about healthier minds and health and well-being, because we've changed the meaning of the word mental to be something nobody wants to associate with. And we'll go a long way to getting rid of that stigma if we simply get rid of that word. I know it's probably too late to do that, but the, the, there's a real um, negative whole feel around that word mental. So um, talk to me about the, the negative impact of suffering in silence with a mental health issue. Uh, in, in the workplace? Well, I, I'm very honest. Uh, I, I never fulfilled, I had a reasonably good career, but I never fulfilled my true potential because I was never brave enough to be really honest about how I was really feeling. So how that how that really, um, what, what really happened to me, I'll, I'll give you some examples, uh, Bill. There were certain jobs I wouldn't apply for because I'd always look at the interview process and I battled with panic attacks and I tried to hide them so, so much and if I felt the interview process would induce a panic attack, um, I wouldn't apply for it. Often to the frustration of my um, HR department or my manager, who would tip me off privately that I was nailed on to get a particular job. But I wouldn't apply for it because I was literally scared, and scare is a big word to use, that I would, I would become breathless in an interview and reveal that I suffer with poor mental health. Um, without doubt, the most embarrassing times in my career was when I'd be in, uh, invited to a meeting because they valued my view on a given subject. I'd arrive at that meeting, I'd sit down, I'd look around the table and see some really important people in the room. And again, I'd be so scared about becoming breathless and revealing poor mental health, I'd opt to virtually say nothing at that meeting. After one of those meetings, my boss said to me, David, I just don't get you. There's days you exude confidence, but there's then days like today whereby I invite you to a meeting because I really value your view on a given subject and you've added no value whatsoever. And I remember he went on to say to me after that particular meeting, you had a real chance today to raise your profile with the right people. But if anything, you've damaged it. And again, Bill, I didn't have the guts once in 30 years to share with anybody of why on some meetings or some days I added no value. And I never even got close to it. Now, some of those managers of mine have gone on to become lifelong friends so in many ways um, the fact that I couldn't talk about my mental health is not so much a, an indication of my relationship with, with my boss it's a relationship um, it's an indication of the depth of the stigma of mental health that people like me uh, just couldn't talk about it and went to extraordinary lengths to hide what was really going on just to avoid admitting that we were suffering with 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 anxiety or panic attacks or, or or depression or something like that. Now you promote the importance of using uh, the right language to encourage honest and open conversations about well-being. Yes. In, in your view, in your view, what what is that correct that right terminology, and and also what what should be avoided? Okay. The irony is, Bill, I spend every day saying to people these days, we've got to get better at talking about mental health. But the worst thing you could say to anybody is, I'm really worried about your mental health, because 
they would go into what I'd call shutdown mode. Um, they would find it uh, too intrusive. Um, there's, they're very unlikely to share with you their mental health because people just don't like to talk about it. So you're better off saying to somebody, um, I've noticed, for example, recently, Bill, a dip in your energy levels, because then you're far more likely to talk to me about um, what's going on in your life and its impact on your well-being. So again, it, we come back to that word mental. People don't like talking about their mental health because of the stigma and because of the embarrassment attached to it. So I think we've got a, as, as a trained uh, counsellor, we're trained to, to notice, um, not interpret, because when you interpret, you can be guilty of judging. So if you are worried about um, a colleague or a loved one, the best thing you can do is to, generally as part of a wider conversation, but it's to notice the change in behaviour. So whatever that behaviour is, it's okay to notice it because it's factual. So for example, Bill, if, um, if your energy levels were really low compared to normal, it is okay to say to you, Bill, um, I've noticed recently a dip in your energy levels. Are you okay? And as I say, you might just talk to me because I didn't mention your mental health. So again, um, interesting question because I think the language to avoid is the use of the word mental and mental health. Uh, if you're really going to open up somebody um, to try and be honest about how they're really feeling. That is interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I think I think perhaps within there, you, you may disagree, but within there, there are, there are probably other uh, social norms and inherent biases that forces one to to avoid those terms like mental health um, and, and, and to, to term, and term that in a different way, you know, to, to put that in a different way, just to actually get to the point, to, to use language yeah. like you know, energy levels, which is so sad in itself, but at least... At least, maybe if, if it's getting if it's getting to the point that's helping them eventually, then then that's what you've got to do, right? A absolutely. Um, I mean, I called my business breaking the silence because I initially broke my silence after thirty six years, but I've really come to the view that the silence, um, the whole silence around the subject of mental health in the workplace, particularly, is what the stigma is. And somehow we've got to encourage more conversations in the same way we talk about physical health to really try and er eradicate that stigma. Um, if you get two people go off sick from work on the same day, one with a broken leg and one with work-related stress, they go on very different journeys, certainly in the UK, Bill. The person with the broken leg would get a card signed by everyone in the office. They would receive regular contact from family, friends and work colleagues, checking in with them, making sure that they're okay. But the person who goes off with work-related stress, they generally don't get a card. Um, people think they're doing you a favour by leaving you alone. Um, you've often made it worse yourself by saying to your manager, well, no one knowing why I'm off. Um, and um, But even though, even though your colleagues will work out that you're away from the workplace because of poor mental health, they won't contact you because they think that the best thing for you is to leave you alone. Ironically, you need more support than the person with the broken leg, but you'll get less. And it's evidence-based now, certainly in the UK, that the longer the silence with someone who's off with mental health, the, you know, the, the chances of them returning to the workplace get less and less and less the longer the silence. If the person who, who's off with a broken leg comes back to work on the same day as the person with, with work-related stress, the person with the broken leg comes back a hero. People can't walk past them without saying, how's your leg? But if you come back to work having been off for a period with mental health, People will tend to say nothing to you. They'll end up bumping into you and talking about the weather, even though you've been off for a month because they don't want to embarrass you. You come back to work fearing you're going to be looked at and treated differently. 
And the irony is you probably are. And it gets harder and harder to come back to work the longer you're, you're off with mental health because you think you'll be treated differently and you usually are, Bill. Um, we've, we've made some progress in the UK around the stigma of mental health, but we've got such a long, 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 long way to go. It's going to be a very long journey. I was delivering a talk somewhere recently and uh, a poor lady was very tearful, very emotional throughout my, my talk. And she stayed behind afterwards to share with me that it was nearly a year to the day of the day when she'd attempted to take her own life. And the, the business she was working for, they made her take it as holiday because it was self-inflicted. Can you oh, believe that? Oh, goodness me. Oh. I know. It's shocking, isn't it? it I'm, I'm pleased to report she, she's no longer working for that company. Um, but they made her take it as holiday, a suicide attempt, because it was self-inflicted, because they couldn't see that she was ill. And how sad is that? I, I don't know what to say to it. Um, it's shocking, isn't it? It's it, it's um, shocking, and, and I, th I think I think part of part part of the the, the irony of, of depression, say, is uh, the worse it gets, the harder it is to talk to people, just like you were saying there. And it's, yeah. it becomes it becomes a vicious cycle, and um, one feels like they're getting sucked down a, a plug, a, bar, a bath plug, you know, and 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 you just push people away uh, even more, and 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 it can really take something massive to break that vicious cycle and, and it's, it's it's just so sad but but of course then you wouldn't want to tell anybody about it so they don't know so then they'll say vicious things like like that that example you just used there it's, yeah. the, the, it's the, the silence bill is, is is the real danger around this um i knew a, a very talented finance director who in the last financial crash in the uk um he sadly got the lift to the very top floor of his skyscraper in london and he jumped to his desk Yes, he battled depression throughout all of his life, but the reason he's no longer with us is he couldn't talk about it. It wasn't the depression that killed him. It was the stigma of mental health. Most people who aren't here anymore are not not here because of their mental illness. They're here because they couldn't talk about it. Generally, when people can share about their mental health, loved ones and professionals rally around and get you to a better place. And that's why we've got to work so much harder at making it easier for people to open up and be honest about how they really are feeling to do with their mental health. Yeah, okay. So we're going to wrap up in, in just a couple of minutes here, David. Uh, last couple of questions for you. And I, I, want, to, I want to leave this interview today on some, with some positive takeaways. So for, for HR pros and, and leaders out there listening to this interview, what, what insights can you share with them to help them inspire employees to be more open by saying it's okay not to be okay and, and to share vulnerabilities? Okay, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say two things here. Firstly, um, we, we have this impression that we, we, we put ourselves under pressure to be perfect in life. Um, what we don't realize is that we inspire people when we share vulnerability. I was at a graduate assessment day a couple of years ago, and all the graduates had to um, talk about something they were passionate about for five minutes as part of the assessment process. And they were all brilliant. One of them talked about skiing, one of them talked about horses, one of them talked about music. But then Abigail stood up and said, hi, everybody. My name's Abigail. I've got bipolar. For the first time that day, people put their mobile phones down. For the first time that day, people stopped whispering and the room fell silent and everyone hung on Abigail's every single word. Because what Abigail was doing was inspiring people by sharing her vulnerability. And she was the first name they wrote down in that business that they wanted to take on. I do a lot of work these days with, with senior people at board level in the UK. 
And it's evidence-based now that the CEO of an organization is more likely to lose his job if he doesn't show weakness. Because when you show weakness, when you show you're a human being, you, ins- you keep the dressing room with you and you inspire people around you. So my first message um, generally to individuals is that it's okay not to be okay because you will actually inspire people when you share vulnerability. So that's my advice to individuals. My advice to, to businesses is to educate your managers. And I'll say something now that might surprise you. It is not educating your managers about mental health. It took me five years to qualify as a counsellor. It's to educate your managers on the value of kindness. If I was managing you, Bill, um, in all of your one-to-one meetings, I would start the meeting by saying to you, Bill, forget about work. How are you? How's the family? Because you will never, ever speak to me honestly about your mental health unless you, you believe that I genuinely care about you authentically as a human being. There are still too many bosses out there that they start one-to-one meetings by going straight in to talk about KPIs, objectives, sales figures. So the key to creating stigma-free environments in the workplace is kindness. Um, The more kind we are to our employees, ironically, the business gains as well because you're less likely to leave, you're less likely to go off sick. But employees will only open up about mental health if they believe their boss really cares about them. So let's really sort of educate managers across the business community on the value of kindness to both the employer and the employee. There you go. Thank you. Uh, So before I uh, wrap things up and invite you to tell our listeners how they can uh, connect with you and learn more about you, um, I just want to say um, I wish that we had more time today because uh, I'd I'd like to keep chatting to you. So I'd I'd love to invite you on to do another interview with me uh, later in 2020 if, if, if that's an interest. Bill, I'd, it's been a real pleasure being here today. I'd, I'd love to speak to you further. Um, and uh, But thank you so much again for, for inviting me on today. Uh, my website is www.breakingthesilence.co.uk. And uh, you can contact me via my website. And it'll be a real pleasure to hear from anyone who's, who's listening to this podcast. Thank you so much, Bill. Been a real pleasure. Thank you. And and listeners, actually, I, I got in contact with David through LinkedIn. He was very responsive through LinkedIn. So I guess that's another channel where uh, maybe folk can, can get in touch as well. Very much so. Yeah, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. So, uh, yeah, be great to hear from anyone who wants to message me on and connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks so much, Bill. OK, well, that just leaves me to say for today, David, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.